Okay, let's pray before we start. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you that um, you are here with us and, and you have things that you want to say to us and that you want us to be in your word because uh, that's, that's just where everything for life and godliness comes from. I pray that I would not get in the way, Lord, but that you would come and speak to us. And um, we would hear what you want to say to us, and you would open our ears and comfort our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, For those of y'all who don't know me, my name is Christy Keaton. And um, we are going to talk about something today which I'd say is kind of like sex in the Christian circles. Like, nobody ever talks about that. (laughs) And the other taboo subject you don't talk about is suffering. It's because nobody wants to talk about that. It's all private. Your own suffering is your own private suffering. And, and, you know, and everybody just wants to cheer you up when you're suffering. They just want to say things like, um, well, God's got this. And, and, um, you know, everything will be fine. The Lord will take care of it all. And, Everything works together for good for those who love God. So, um, even though that's taking that verse out of context, but (laughs) other than that. And I think part of the reason that we have a really hard time entering into each other's suffering is because it's a mirror to our own heart. We don't want to suffer. We're not excited about that. That's not something we signed up for. And... So when we see that happening to somebody else, it's difficult for us to handle. And a lot of times as women, we just want to fix it. We don't want to enter into the suffering with them. We don't, we, we don't want to feel the pain of another person's suffering because we've got enough of our own. And so we just try to fix it and try to gloss it over. But, it is, but the important thing about understanding and talking about suffering is, number one... We're all going to have it. Whether you like it or not, whether you signed up for that or not, Christians and non-Christians, everybody that lives in this broken world is going to suffer at some point. And some of you have already been through some significant suffering in your life. You have, you're dealing with, I mean, I can just make a whole list. Chronic illness, which I feel like is one of the hardest things to suffer with because it never goes away. You deal with it every single day. You've lost a loved one. Some of you have lost a child, which is incredibly difficult and painful. I've walked through somebody in this room with that. And some of you have lost a loved one. Last Saturday, I buried my sister-in-law. And so um, some of you have been through a bad divorce or you're in a horrible relationship right now. Or pain has been exposed from your past, which is another thing that happened to me last year. When your whole world is turned upside down because something you thought was true is not. And so, suffering is going to happen to all of us. And the important thing about suffering in this life is that we have a foundation that is biblical to handle it. Because there is plenty of people out there teaching all kinds of crazy things about suffering that is not biblical. And you need to know what the truth is, and you need to prepare your heart for that. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, 
You know, we're living in what's called the, the world of in-between, ladies. And you know what this means. It's before, it's since Eden and the fall, and until Christ comes again and restores this earth. And we live in the in-between, in the fallen world. And so, in that fallen world, there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of sin. And so, how do we respond to that? Um, in a world where we have sorrow and hardship that we deal with, but we also have ultimate joy in Jesus, how do those two things commingle, and how do you handle those two things? Because there is a lot to be said for knowing Christ. I, I often say, last Saturday when we were at Betsy's funeral, Johnny and I turned to each other and I said, I just don't know how unbelievers handle this kind of thing. No wonder they become drug addicts and drunks and run around looking for happiness somewhere and spend a lot of money and do whatever they can to like cover their pain because they don't have anywhere to go with it. And in the midst of our sorrow last week at her funeral, there was also joy mingled in there because her suffering was over and she is in glorious bliss right now. And if we could talk to Betsy Keaton right now, she would say to you, I do not want to come back down there. <laughs> I am done with all of that. And, and just the whole... So at the same time that we were sorrowing for ourselves and sorrowing over death and the brokenness of our world and the horrible last six weeks that we dealt with um, her glioblastoma, she was diagnosed... Exactly a year and two weeks and she, with a glioblastoma stage four, which is very aggressive brain cancer. And they told her at the time that she had 12 to 14 months and she lived exactly 12 months and two weeks. And, and she was never married and she had no children. And so Johnny and I were her caregivers. And honestly, the last six weeks were hell. She was paralyzed <clears throat> on her left side, could not move her arm or her leg, and she was almost blind. And it was horrendous, just to be honest, and it was very hard. But in the midst of that great sorrow was an incredible peace like I have never felt, and a joy, actually, as we had the opportunity to care for her. It was hard. It was really hard. And I'm not saying that it wasn't. But there was also a different kind of peace in that. And we embraced what God had brought into her life and into our lives, and we tried to love her well until the end. So, how is our response different from what the world says our response to sorrow should be? It's, it's a, it, we should have a different response as believers, and you've got to have a sure foundation for that. So, I want to read you, and when I, <clears throat> one of the things I think is the most important thing about suffering, and one of the things that the Lord does with it, is you know more about Him when you're enduring suffering. You draw closer to the heart of God. In our playroom and our house at home, we have a, a sign over our fireplace, and it's a quote from the Chronicles of Narnia, and I want to read it to you. I love the Chronicles of Narnia. If you're a mom with young children, make sure you read that to your kids. We read it out loud as a family when our children were young. There's so much biblical just 
just wealth in those books, and they're just wonderful. And it's an easy way for you to teach your children the things of God by using those stories. So this is one of um, my favorite quotes from, and it hang, we have a sign in our playroom that says this. How can I live never meeting you, cried Lucy. And this is when Aslan, who represents Christ in the stories, was leaving. And Lucy was distressed because he was going to leave her. He says, but you shall meet me, dear one, said Aslan. But there I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This was the very reason why you were brought to Narnia that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better there. And that's a story of our life, ladies. The reason that we are here right now is so that we can know Christ and, and enter into his suffering with him, and our lives can be changed, and one day we're going to know him better there because of it. What he's doing in your life right now is not going to be lost forever. The pain and the suffering that you have in this life, the things you have to endure, do have meaning. And you will know him better because of it. So we're just here for a little while, and one day we're going to be there with him forever, and we're going to know him deeply. So Philippians 3.10 says this, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So that's what we want to talk about today. What, 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 what do we need to have as our foundation for that? So we're going to go to Romans 8 for our first session. So if you can turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, of course, is one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. And it, it basically is a summary of all of our life and what life is about and our position in Christ. And so it's a great, um, it's a great passage to lay a foundation for what all is going to happen in the rest of your life. I want to, I want to tell you a couple of before we get going so I don't forget this. These are some of the books that I've read this year that I think would be really helpful on this topic and um, that you would love. This is one of my favorites. It's called Hearing Jesus Speak Into Your Sorrow. And this book covers all kinds of scripture. It's by Nancy Guthrie. Um, If you're not familiar with Nancy Guthrie, she lost two children to a genetic disorder. And um, after their first child died, and she, they had another child that was fine, and then she was pregnant again, and that child had the same genetic disorder and also died. And she remit, she'll talk, she talks about this in this book, how, how well-meaning believers would say things to her like, well, God's not going to let you go through that sorrow twice. This baby's going to be fine. And, and she said she would think to herself when she walked off, there's no guarantee of that. Where, where are you getting that from? That's not biblical. And sure enough, the sec, the, her, their third child had the same disorder, and so they buried two children. She learned a lot from that experience, and she's a, she speaks all over the United States on, uh, and on the topic of suffering and other things. You can follow her on Instagram if you want to. But hearing Jesus speak in your sorrow, this, this book I started reading about a year and a half ago, and I have reread it, parts of it, over and over and over again. It's very biblically based. There's a lot of scripture in it, and it will be a real comfort to you and a great foundation for that. 
The second one um, that I love is Elizabeth Elliot's Keep a Quiet Heart. This is a, a devotional book that just has their short devotions, but the entire book deals with how to have a peaceful and quiet heart before God. And there's a lot in here about even when you're suffering and what God does through that. And, of course, Elizabeth Elliot's one of my favorites. Almost every year when I speak, I tell you all some Elizabeth Elliot book you should read because <laughs> she's wonderful. <laughs> Jesus now. And then um, this is an old one, which actually Rusty told me about. Jennifer and Rusty love this book. It's Edith Schaefer's A Way of Seeing. Edith Schaefer was Frances Schaefer's wife. And I've read several of her books. She has a great one on hospitality, too. But this is just her devotional book. And it's an old one. I think I paid $3 on eBay for this. So (laughs) you can find it pretty cheap. A Way of Seeing by Edith Schaefer. And if you want to, there is, on the back table back there, there's a handout that has all of these on on it. So you can just pick it up at the back. (laughs) Sorry. Should have told you that. (laughs) Sorry. After you're sitting furiously writing. It's right back there on the sign-up table. There's a little printout that has it. And then the last thing we're going to talk about today is in the last session, we're going to go through Psalm 23. And, and what that means for your life, it's a very familiar passage, of course. Probably many of you in here have the whole thing memorized. And, um, but sometimes when a passage is that familiar, we lose the meaning. And so we're going to talk some about that. But this is Max Lucado's book on Psalm 23. It's called Traveling Light. And I, Johnny and I read this together in the mornings this past year. And it, it, it's wonderful. And it's not hard to read. His style of writing is, is very easy. Okay, and then this one, I'm going to read a couple of passages out of this one. I did not put this one on the list. It's called You Are the Beloved by Henry Nowen. I was not familiar with Henry Nowen. Um, and I don't agree with everything in this book. I'll just say that up front. He was a Danish Catholic priest. But he has a lot to say about suffering that is really good. And so um, we're gonna, I'm going to read a couple of his passages. And these are like little tiny short devotions. And the whole point of these, like, like there's, see how short they are? That's like two days right there. <laughs> you know, the whole point of these is um, the fact that you are the beloved of Christ. So it is just so encouraging when you read these and... You read what he says about being beloved by the Lord. That's just so encouraging, especially if you're going through a hard time. So, and then the other one that's on the list back there, too, and I have not read this book, is, um, let me find the name of it and read it to you, but I have read her blog a lot. Vanitha Rendell Risner. And um, she writes for Desiring God. If you go to desiringgod.com, O-R-G. There's a lot of her work on there. And uh, her book is called The Scars That Have Shaped Me, How God Meets Us in Suffering. And I have not read her book yet, but I really do want to read this one. She has had a lifetime of suffering. She had polio as a child. She recovered from that. She got married. Um, she had two children and a little boy. The little boy died because of a doctor error, and they had to bury him. And then her husband left her after that. And then recently she's been re-diagnosed with post-polio syndrome, which will land her in a wheelchair at some point in her life. And so um, the name of her blog is called 
Dance in the Rain. And um, she is an amazing writer, and she will inspire you so much. But her website, where you can read her blog, is Venetha. I'll spell that for you. V-A-N-E-E-T-H-A. Venetha.com. And um, so, anyway, and I really do want to get her book and read it, too. Okay, so let's go to Romans 8. Because what we're going to do is we're going to lay a foundation for who we are in Christ and what the Scripture says about us. Because that is very important for all of your life, but particularly when you are dealing with something hard in your life. So, I promise that this is not going to be like some somber, horrible (laughs) women's retreat. (laughs) Um, Because we have a lot to rejoice in. Because the gift that we have is that we don't look at suffering and handle it like the rest of the world does. And you have somewhere to go with it. And not just somewhere to go, but somewhere where you can find peace and healing and you can actually find joy in the midst of your suffering. Which sounds crazy to the rest of the world. And I'm sorry, but my glasses will go on and off all day because I am old. And I can't read without them. Okay, so let's look at verses chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Well, somebody, can somebody, I, this is not on one of your little post-it notes that I have. Yes, Jerry. Yes, I would like somebody to read. Would you like to read? Okay, perfect. Okay, so can you read Romans 8, chapters 1 through, I mean, verses 1 through 3. Okay, so this is of the utmost importance for your life. This is probably one of the greatest statements in the entire Bible. And we're going to see how this relates to when something hard happens in your life. I'm going to put it all together for you, so just hang with me. But of utmost importance here is the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation means judgment, being sent away. From the presence of God. We don't ever have to worry about that again. Do you realize that? Even though you don't feel like that sometimes. Like like if you hadn't had a quiet time in about three days. Sometimes you do this dumb thing where you say. Well God doesn't want to talk to me now. Because I haven't like read my Bible for three days. So. Um, and you know we just tell ourselves this stupid stuff in our head. And that is just ridiculous. There is no condemnation for you at all ever again. You are free in Christ to love Him and to be loved by Him. And nothing you can do will change that. Because Jesus died for all the things you're going to do, which would make a mess out of everything. So that is a, you are free from the law, and God has done this. It's not up to you. It's not you, and it's not your behavior. This is one of my favorite commentaries on this. John MacArthur says this, No sin a believer can commit, past, present, or future, can be held against him. Since the penalty was paid by Christ, 
and righteousness was imputed to the believer. And no sin will ever reverse this divine legal decision. It's legal language in the Hebrew there. It's saying like it's legally declared. You are not condemned. And you never will be ever again. And nothing can change that. Okay, so can I get a hallelujah for that? I mean, it doesn't matter if you... I mean, it does matter if you yell at your husband tomorrow or or your kids. It it does matter. I don't want you to go home and do that. This is not freedom to sin. (laughs) But Jesus has covered that. Like anything that you do, any weird thought that you have, any... Anything you struggle with, Jesus has covered all of that and has declared you righteous. And the second that Betsy entered heaven, it wasn't to visit a judge. It was to be embraced by her heavenly father who adored her and still does now. And to be in his physical presence for all of eternity. And if we could see our life like that, y'all... This little life that you're living right here that is so important to you is a teensy-weensy blip on all of eternity. Like if you just think of trying to put a little tiny dot on a line that you can't even see the ends of, that's what your life is here. And we're given the privilege and the joy of walking with Christ and getting to know Him while we're here and being with Him and all the things that we think are so wonderful about this life. But our Our minds cannot even begin to comprehend the joy that is set before us. Betsy was a huge adventurer. She loved to travel. And she had visited, we talked about this at her funeral, she had visited 55 countries in her lifetime. And in the last month of her life, well, in September, before it really got bad, but she was already experiencing a lot of symptoms from the glioblastoma, she went to Russia at the end of September with our niece, which honestly Johnny and I did not think was a very brilliant idea. But we're so glad she did it because our ideas are not always the best ideas, and we know that. And, um, and Katie said it was difficult. She got confused. She got on a bus that wasn't their bus, and Katie had to go get her off because the tumor was growing again and starting to give her all these side effects. But they had a wonderful overall time. And Johnny and I have said, we're so glad that they went. And Katie will always have that memory. And she's got some great pictures from that trip. But um, Betsy just loved to travel. And even in the last month of her life, she was telling Johnny, I want to go to Antarctica next. So I think I'm going to book a trip for Antarctica. And Johnny came home and said to me, let's not prepay that. (laughs) So... Because she was determined. So, um, but we were smiling after we left the funeral and said, she is on the greatest adventure of her entire life right now. Nothing compares to anything she ever saw, the most beautiful thing she ever, the thrill of bungee jumping in New Zealand. She's crazy. Um, But... All of that, nothing compares to the thrill that she's having right now. And Johnny and I were just speculating. We were in the car going, she's seeing flowers and trees and colors and smelling things that she never even imagined were available to her. So, and all of that because there is no condemnation for her anymore. 
She has gone on to be with the Lord, and he welcomed her home as a child. That's why the scripture says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. He honestly can't wait for the rest of us to get there. And, and there are plenty of days when I'm, like, waiting to go. <laughs> so, um, in fact, I looked at Johnny at one point and said, I'm a little bit jealous of her, especially that night when we got home from the funeral and I was cleaning up the kitchen. I turned around and looked at Johnny and said, do you realize she does not have to do this anymore? She does not have to clean the kitchen. Then i got to go in there and do all that laundry. And there's nothing dirty in heaven. She's not doing laundry. She doesn't have to clean the kitchen. Man, that just sounds like great to me. So, um, okay, and then we're going to look at verses 4 through 8. So that, but the foundation from this, ladies, is for you to remember, in the eyes of God, Jesus has paid for everything, all of your sin, anything that's ever going to happen again. And you are going to sin. You're going to keep on doing that. Does everybody understand that? Until you die. And it's frustrating, and you really wish it wasn't like that. But Jesus has paid for all of that. The, the life we live here is a broken life, but Jesus is the answer to that. He has healed all that brokenness in you and in me. And he's covered all of that brokenness. So in verses 4 through 8, as a result of that, we walk differently. So can somebody read verses 4 through 8 for me? Through eight. Okay, so here is a big difference and a big picture of the difference between walking in this world as a believer and walking in this world as an unbeliever. As an unbeliever, all the things that they do, even the best intentions that they have, don't please God because their sin is still in the way. And one thing I want to make a statement about this is this. This is not an admonition. Like, in other words, I think we default... Our default mode is to go, okay, so now this says I've got to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. This is something I've got to do because this is what we think. Like, you know, it's all about us and trying to figure out how we're going to live our lives as good little Christians, you know. But that is not what this scripture is. This is not an admonition. It's a statement of fact. Because you, just like you can't cover your own sin, and Jesus did that for you, He also sends you the Spirit so you can walk according to the Spirit. You don't go outside and go, okay, let me go find the Holy Spirit and let me put Him in my heart and let me, like, let me obey Him all day long and all that kind of stuff. You don't do any of that. It's not up to you to do that. This is a statement of fact that once you know Christ, you walk according to the Spirit. What a gift that is. That is an incredible gift. Your mind is different. The things you think. Now, you're still going to think some sinful things because like we've talked about, we're all going to sin until we are done. Betsy is done. Can you imagine that? 
That is the other thing that's exciting to me. She is through with sinning. Like, what a relief. You are going to be over yourself when you get there. Isn't it going to be just great? I cannot wait for that day to be over myself and quit worrying about everything. So, um, so that's the deal here, is that you're still going to struggle with the things of your flesh, but you don't walk according to the flesh anymore. Your life is different, and it is a fact. It's not something you have to do. It's something that God gave you as a gift. So, all of this will play into how we do it differently from the world. It's going to affect all areas of our life. How we love will look differently. How we grieve will look differently. The things we think about will look different. Our mindset will be different. Do you realize that unbelievers don't have any choice in how their mind is working? Like They just think all the things that they think, and they worry themselves to death, and they're, they have so much anxiety and all those things because they don't have any other choice. You walk according to the Spirit. You have the Spirit of Christ living in you, and the Holy Spirit changes your mind about things. And as you dwell in the Word, He takes the Word and He makes it real life to you. And you can, you can think differently from the rest of the world. So, um, our affections, our mental process, all our will to do things is all led by the Spirit as a gift that God gave you when He put the Holy Spirit inside of you. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to like try to get that. The Holy Spirit has given you that as a gift. This past um, year, at the first of the year, I spent about six months in counseling with Yvonne Reed because I was dealing with some things from my childhood that um, I'm not going to go into detail about, but that were kind of shocking to me. Some stuff that had come out in our family that were some deep, serious family secrets that I was having to deal with and that really rocked my world at the age of 56. And I had a horrendous time with forgiveness. And I saw the sickness of my own soul. I always thought I was a pretty merciful, forgiving person. But boy, when the Lord puts you under the crucible and starts really working on your heart, you see the just hor- the, just the meanness in your own soul. And, you, and just the inability in your own self to do anything about that. And I remember when I was sitting with Yvonne and we were struggling through all this and I was talking through it and I was going, how, how? How am I going to get beyond this? And one of the things that she said to me was, Christy, you do not have to drum this up. That's what you're trying to do, is you're driving down the road and you're trying to drum up in your heart forgiveness. Okay, I am going to forgive. I'm going to make the choice to forgive. I'm going to do this, you know. Honestly, girls, you can't do that on your own, and I found that out. And another one of my sweet friends said to me, you make a choice for forgiveness, but you ask the Lord. It's like a gift, like faith is. You can't drum up your own faith. So you ask the Lord to give you forgiveness. And I would pray that verse about creating me a clean heart, O Lord. 
Remove the anger from my heart and create in me a heart of forgiveness. Make me a compassionate person. Help me to forgive because this is way beyond my capacity to forgive. And he did that. Now, did he do it one time and boom, it was all fixed? No, I still struggle with it. And a sweet friend of mine said this to me. It is not because you have not forgiven that you still struggle with it. It's because there's more to forgive. And there's still more to forgive. I'm still trying to work it all out and get it all. But I've given up on trying to work it all out. I just Every time it happens and I become angry again about it or I start thinking about it, I just go running back to the Lord. And I have now embraced it as a friend. Because this thing that happened in my life and the pain that it has caused me has made me run to Jesus more than anything else in my life ever has, except for maybe Hannah Grace. <laughs> she makes me run to Jesus a lot. <laughs> so, she's sweet as she can be, but she is hard. <laughs> like last night when she had an accident all over our sofa and I was cleaning it up for the third time this week. So, anyway... The joy of this and the wonder of this in this scripture here is that this is not something you have to do. It's a gift from the Lord. It's a fact that you're going to walk differently now because of the Holy Spirit. And that's a blessing. So um, now let's read. Let's keep going here with verses 9 through 16 because we're almost finished. We're going to stop here with verse 16. And then we have some discussion questions. So can somebody read verses 9 through 16 for me? However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And indeed, the Spirit of God is built in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus Okay, so once again, here is a wildly accurate contrast of what it's like to walk in this world as a believer and to walk in this world as an unbeliever. And do you realize that, again, that this is a gift? This isn't something you've worked up on your own, and this isn't a continuing admonition for, you know, if you're not, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you know. This is saying the Spirit is the one. By the Spirit, He puts to death the deeds of the body. You can't do it. 
Like, I love what Steve Brown says. He goes, <laughs> he, Jennifer, her dad is just the best. I'm telling you. I just, he's so realistic. I just wish I could go spend time with him. I love him so much. Last year, I was getting ready for the women's retreat, and I was struggling with all this stuff, and he was here, and I went over to talk to him a little bit about it, and he goes, will you just stop? Like, like, just go home. Don't read anything else. God's going to do it. Just don't prepare anymore. You don't need to do anything else. And I was like, oh. And then I said, okay, Lord, I'm counting on that being a word from you. Steve Brown said I could go home and rest and quit worrying about this. So I just love him. He's just so fun. But one of the things he says is um, about, he says, you can't do it. I can't do it. And he said, as an old guy who's been doing this for a long time, just let me tell you, you can't do it. And that's the whole point of this thing. That's what he says. I love the way he says this. That's the whole point of this thing, is you can't do it. It's the Spirit of God in you. And the Lord loves it when you tell Him you can't do it. In fact, that's what He wants us to do. Because when you go to God and you say, I can't do this, whatever it is, forgiveness, suffering, hard relationships, grief. When you go to him and say, I can't do this, it's like God goes, I've got you exactly where I want you. That's where he wants you, girls, because we're going to run and try to fix everything. Particularly women are really bad about this. You know, I got this. You know, I'm the girl boss. I got this. You know, in your house. I'm going to get all this going and everything's going to be fine. But the problem is you don't have this. And Jesus knows that. He's waiting for you to figure that out. And He wants you to run to Him and say to Him, I can't do this. Because then He's got you exactly where He wants you. Dependent on Him every second of every day. So, Be encouraged that you are indwelled by Christ and led by the Spirit, not of your own doing. It is a fact. If you need to go home and put that on your mirror in your bathroom, I belong to Christ. Jesus lives in me. The Spirit leads me. Go home and put that on and look at that every day before you get up during the day. Because it's a gift that the Lord's given you. And when we understand that, it makes us fall on our face and worship. And so thankful that we don't have to walk the way we used to walk or the way the world walks anymore. But you have the Spirit of God living in you and He indwells you and He leads you and He promises that He will always do it from now until it's perfected in eternity and you can ditch this body and you won't have to deal with any of that anymore. I don't know. What did I say? <laughs> Oh, I belong to Jesus. And what else am I saying? (laughs) That He dwells in me and the Spirit leads me. And don't get over the fact that you've got to work that up or it's something you're going to do. It's not. It's a gift from God. Okay, so now you have some discussion questions and we're going to take about 15 minutes at the table and they're, they're all this, this, we have three sessions of discussion questions and so all the discussion questions for session one are right there so just stay at your tables and discuss that and then what are we doing Allison? Are we having a break then? So
physical stress. Then we'll have a break, uh, 10 minutes. Go to the bathroom, check out the table over there with the sign-ups, get some more coffee. Go buy one of my CDs. And, uh, and then we'll start back at, we'll say, 5 till 11. So 10.55, you got to be in your seat to get the door prize. Turn this off. Allison. Do you, how do I, do I turn this off? Yes. You just push stop. Okay. Let's see.